Welcome to The World According to Craig, and on this week's episode, we try to make sense of nonsense, also known as the stock market. Uh, and maybe we will, maybe we won't, but at least we might be a little bit more informed at the end of it. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Pete, to talk about everybody's favorite and least favorite topic or their favorite thing they love to hate, which is the stock market. So we're going to talk a little bit today about what people can think or should know in this situation. But first, I want them to understand who you are because okay. you're not some evil finance manipulator. <laughs> um, or maybe you are. You are. Sure? <laughs> So you're a hedge fund trader or yeah. a hedge fund person, right? Yes, I, I work at a hedge fund where I conduct research on stocks. Got it. Yep. So there are like eight questions buried in that. But like, how did you get what what is a hedge fund? Because I think there's a lot of headlines about it and people don't really understand it. OK, so a hedge fund is simply we raise capital from third-party investors who we then charge fees to. And we take that capital and invest it in the stock market. Um, we call it a hedge fund because we not only buy stocks, but we our mandate is that we can also short stocks. And what shorting stocks means is that we are betting against the company co company's stock price. Got it. And so there are a lot of people who think that based on recent headlines and GameStop, people are like evil traders shorting a stock as if it's some sort of like emotional investment in a stock, but it's not. We all, like if I were watching, um, and I know I can say these things, but you can't, but if I were watching a stock and I were like, mm, that company's not doing well, I wouldn't buy the stock, right? And so you're just saying, we also bet the company's not doing well. And so we're going to actually put money on that bet. Exactly. And what that helps us do is that if the stocks that we own don't do well because either for company specific or sector specific or market specific reasons, it allows us to hedge that exposure. Got it. So it's a little bit like saying, I'm going to put some money over here. I'm going to put some money over here. And this has a better chance of making money to offset if this doesn't. Exactly. Okay. So this seems very complex and there's a lot of questions about this, but how did you even get into this? Like you, I, were you the kid who stole all of the Monopoly money out of the box and then just sat with it I, and I like counted it? I was the best it? Monopoly player I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how does becoming the best Monopoly player you know translate into like the world of finance? Because I grew up in rural Indiana where no one had any money. Yep. And there was like a storefront for the Edward Jones investments. And that seemed very foreign to me. When yep. I was young, I bought a share of McDonald's. Yeah. Um, but like I didn't understand what that was and what that meant. So like... You grew up in Minnesota. Did you understand what that was and what that meant at the time? No, I actually really didn't. So I grew up in Minnesota. Um, my dad and his two brothers are businessmen. They're entrepreneurs. So I was exposed to business at a young age. And there's something about it that I liked. Um, I, To say it simply, I used to, as a kid, I really loved, I grew very fond of money. And I don't know why. <laughs> I just for some reason, really loved it. You just played with actual physical money? No, just like wanting to make money. I, I always wanted to like, do that. Like, I mean, yes. <laughs> but it, it, was a, it was a passion of mine, and I don't know why. I, like kids, some kids played with chemistry sets. You yeah. played with a calculator. Yeah, like I was always thinking about like, how do I make money? Okay. Um, I was thinking about how to blow up things with my chemistry set, and I did not become a chemist. At least you did something with your passion. <laughs> um, 
when I graduated high school and thinking about where, where to go to school, I, I, like I said, my, my, my dad and his two brothers, they were businessmen. I wanted to do something business related. Uh, my brother was just joining Wall Street at the time. And so I decided that this makes like the most logical sense. And it was as simple as how can I make the most money coming out of school? Okay. Um, that's not how I feel now, but back then it was, that was the driver. Got it. So when I was in college, um, I, I had an internship over one of my summers, and that was at a private equity fund, uh, a small private equity fund in Minneapolis. And <clears throat> there, the focus is more on buying companies, um, making some changes, mostly improvements, and then selling them for a profit a little later. So a private equity company mm -hmm. is, uh, there's like a, let's say a family owned operation that's managed to scale into mm -hmm. like 15 grocery stores but they still treat it as if it's one grocery store. So a private equity company might come in and offer that family money and then say, okay, well, we could create some efficiencies here. There can be like one person who handles all the buying for all 15 stores instead of 15 people and things like that. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. And this specific fund that I worked for, that was their more or less their business model. Huh? Yeah. So spot right on, on point. Yeah. Grocery stores. There uh, you go. <laughs> um, and so I made over the summer, I made a decent amount of money and I'd, Following that, when I went back to school, there I wasn't making money with my internship, and so I thought, how could I make more money? And so I started trading stocks. Um, one of my roommates was one of those kids that had been trading since he came out the womb. Oh and wow! So I was <clears throat> that's an aggressive two-year-old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I was constantly talking to him, and uh, I started doing my own research in college, and I was just managing my own small portfolio. And so when I left college, I knew that. I really like doing that. And what I learned while I was managing my portfolio in college is that it actually became less about money. What I realized is that it became more about like solving a puzzle. Okay. There are all these different pieces that go into determining how much is a stock worth. And one of those drivers can be, what's the company's profit? But another driver could be, does the market like these type of stocks right now? Uh, a company could be meeting or exceeding all of its profit expectations, but if the market doesn't like the type of stock, then the stock might not go up. Right. Uh, an example of that would be, let's say a company like, and I'm just using this hypothetically, like uh, a grocery store where okay. you, the grocery store, the market might be expecting that the grocery store generates $100 of profit. Um, the grocery store comes out and they make $200 of profit but the stock doesn't go up. Well, the reason, one of the main reasons why the stock might not go up is because Amazon, Walmart, and all these other larger companies are dominating the grocery space. So people might think that this profit beat is only temporary. Got it. And so there are all these different factors that go into place that it that started to excite me more than actually making money. Well, that's fascinating because I think that's the key component of this is we have this perception out in society justified or unjustified, because I don't think uh, there's like a trade organization for Wall Street that says we should work on our reputation. But we have this perception that there's a bunch of people just arbitrarily setting prices. But there are, there are not a bunch, of a bunch of people arbitrarily setting prices. They're trying to make informed decisions because it's only to their advantage to make an informed decision if it makes them money, right? Like if you're making an uninformed decision and it's the wrong decision, you lose money. Yeah. And so we have this perception that these people are out for no good, but they're not. They're trying to make real informed decisions. And we'll get to this in a second, but the public is actually the one causing the problem in this. But 
in some ways. And so the, the question becomes, you know, you're doing all this research and it's like, what is the profit? Where, what is the market? What does the industry look like? All of those things. You've now worked up to become this hedge fund trader who's placing bets in different areas that are trying to be informed bets. There's actual research in this. It's actual thought, right? And there are laws governing, manipulating these things. Like I think people don't understand. Everyone thinks laws just exist and people ignore them, but, yeah. but the government's pretty aggressive about enforcing them. Yes. Um, just ask Martha Stewart, I guess. <laughs> um, but then into this frame comes a whole bunch of things like Robin Hood, where everyday people can trade stocks without going to a broker. Like the whole point was a broker gives you advice and you tell the broker, I like your advice, I don't like your advice, please do these things, right? right. Uh, like that was a stock broker, right? Like they were your friend, so to speak, because they would make money if you made money. Yep. Now there's a whole group of people where there's no broker and you can do whatever you want without advice, which I guess you could have always done, but now it's much, much easier. What's that like? When you when you spend your time doing research, like and then you have a you know a million people show up to the party who don't do any research. Yeah. Well, in the short term, it can it makes things I wouldn't say more difficult, but there are more surprises <clears throat> in the short term. Um, I think it depends what your investment time horizon is. Over meaning like when you want to make money. Yes. So if I want to if I buy a stock and my plan is to hold it for five years. I don't, what happens with Robinhood or any of these other new platforms or uh, frankly, anything in the short term really doesn't matter, matter that much as long as I'm willing to hold it for five years. This stuff, you, it happens over long cycles. Um, we can go back and think of like the year 2000 when you had somewhat of a similar situation. The circumstances were a little different, but if you're a long-term investor, this stuff really actually shouldn't matter that much to you. Um, so on the long-term side, it really doesn't have an impact. Now, if you're a short-term trader, then it has a huge impact. And at a hedge fund, you do a little bit of both. So for positions that are more short, shorter-term oriented, we kind of do have to take that into consideration in that there is this new group of investors that's coming into the market and it's kind of playing like game theory with them. Okay, like these are the characteristics of the stocks that they like to invest in. So Let's take that into consideration when we're making investment decisions. So you're trying to make sense out of Reddit bro madness. Yeah. I, that might be a losing proposition. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know, Reddit is the cesspool of humanity. So <clears throat> in that vein, so that bears the question then. Okay, so that's what you do. Then everybody looks at the stock market and you're placing these informed bets. So uh, as like the expert in this, right? The person who spends their time doing it in the same way I would ask a doctor, like, what does this look like? Right. Yeah. Um, what should people know about the stock market? Right. Because I don't think people actually, I, I certainly didn't understand what stock market is like companies issue stock yeah, and that raises money, yeah, which they use to spend on growing in right. theory. Right. Yeah. And so when an IPO isn't just a whole bunch of people trying to cash out no they're trying to not. raise capital raise money to do more things right so in theory if airbnb wants to become the largest whatever hypothetically that that was a reason for them to go public yep and the, the government can sometimes force you to go public if you have a number of investors right no the government or there's a regulation to my understanding the government doesn't can't force you to go public got it yeah. so you in that vein when you go public and you raise this cash, then 
what happens next? You issue shares, right. which are, were paper certificates. I remember my yeah. McDonald's paper certificates. You don't get paper anymore. No. Um, although if you wanted paper, can you get paper? I think you can. You can request it. So why would an everyday person invest in the stock market as opposed to putting their money in savings? Because you can earn higher returns, presumably earn higher returns in the stock market. So there are all kinds of ways that you can generate wealth, right? Like you can try, yeah. like, as we call it, like grow the money you have. Yeah. You can put it in the bank. You can start a business. You can put it in a savings account. You can buy bonds, right? Like mm -hmm. I remember we used to get savings bonds. Those yeah. were like gifts, right? Where you buy, yeah. you pay $25 and then you turn it in seven years later or whatever. And the government gives you 50, yeah. right? So in theory, the stock market is another option where things grow faster or could grow faster. Yes. But there's a lot more potential downside if everything crashes. Exactly. Um, so how doesn't how should an everyday person think about that? Should they get in and just put it away? Like you talked about where it doesn't impact, like where Robinhood and all the short term stuff doesn't impact because like they're just betting that like things will go up over time and the government and the country are not going to go belly up. Like if the U.S. goes belly up, we have bigger problems. The, well, I can't speak for how people should look at it um, the way. I would look at it and the way I do look at it is if I were to own this business, what kind of research, if I were to own this stock, like it was my business, what kind of research would I perform? And then I go and perform that research. So I think that's the key component is like owning a stock can be a bit like owning your own small business. Like if you were to make decisions, well, you'd have to you, be informed. You, you own a percent of a business. That's what a stock is. That's what you're effective. That, that is what it is. Oh, yeah. I would have never thought about it like that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm I like I bought stock, but I never really think about like I bought into that business. Yeah, you're an owner of the business. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. That's actually very obvious by definition, and I didn't <laughs> consider it. So uh, my bad. Okay, so I'm an owner of the business, and I needed to do research about this business, but I don't have to actually run the business. Exactly. Okay. And, and if you don't want to own the business anymore, you can sell. Whereas and if I start my own storefront, selling is not the easiest thing exactly. in the world to do. Okay. So if you, where do people like do your research? You just Google things or you could just look everywhere. There's can, a lot of pu publicly available information out there and that's the best place to start is with public filings. Okay. So if a stock is publicly traded, they generally have to earn or hold earnings calls. So every quarter the company will release results and you can listen to the earnings <clears> calls that this company has. And then the management team will provide an update on the business. Um, there are quarterly filings that the company has to And they have to tell the truth in these things, right? Y yes, they have to tell the truth. I, but I think that's an important question. I don't think, I think people think that like a business can say whatever it wants if it's on the stock market, but they can't. Yeah, they're supposed to tell the truth. Okay, yeah. unless you're Enron, in which case yeah. sometimes things go yeah. south. Yep. Okay, so they tell the truth in, they have like earnings calls where it's just like a phone call you can dial into. It's a phone call you can, you used to dial into, you can listen to it on this, on the internet now. Okay. Um, <laughs> Fancy. And so what happens is the management team will usually have 20, 30 minutes of prepared remarks. And then you'll have a number of Wall Street analysts at large brokerage firms like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley ask questions and the management team has to answer. Got uh, it. But that, I think that's important because we think, and this is really where I want to get into, we think about the big world of finance, right? Like there's this whole stock market that's going up and down and there's experts in it. And there's the perception broadly in society that 
this is just an elite group of people who are making arbitrary decisions that affect the rest of us. But what we're really talking about is the big scaled version of the grocery store, right? Which is a grocery store chain, right? Like a, 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 you have one store, then you have 15, and then maybe a private equity firm invests in you. And then you have 60 grocery stores and then you go public, not that a 60 grocery store chain would go public, but you go public to raise money to make another 60 stores. Cause now you really want to scale. Yes. And you have these regular calls where you have to say what's going on in the business and people get to ask you questions about what they want to know about what's going on in the business. Yeah. And then there are people like you who are doing research about like what's happening in the grocery world more broadly, yeah. like how are people consuming food? Like yep. what's happening in society? Like all of this isn't some fictional ethereal, like wall street greed is good, throwing money at each other, like in a room, lighting it on fire, deciding to send things one way or the other. It's actually supposed to be based in, in a functional reality. Yes. Is it ever like not? I mean, some do people get emotional in the stock market? Yes, over the short term, I think I think the stock market is more about behavioral economics in the short term. Okay, says anything tied to earnings or something fundamental. So what does that mean? So that means if and this happens actually all the time. You and I, here's an example. A stock today trades at $100. Tomorrow we wake up and the stock trades at $80. What's the right value of the stock? I don't know. How would I know? Well, I would do research, right? Yeah. So I come with my I'll come up with my own value. We both owned it at $100. Okay. You come up with your own value oh. independently. Now it's at 80 So now I have to decide, do I buy, sell, or just stay put? And you decide the same thing. But I don't know what you think it's worth and you don't know what I think it's worth. Now multiply that by how many people trade in the stock market. <clears throat> okay. And well, this is interesting because then this is a key point. So it's a bit like I like a California style home and you like a Spanish style home and somebody else likes a colonial home. And like there are the costs of things in the home, which would be the research, right? Like the countertops cost this much and that sort of thing. But I might decide that I like the home more than you, so I'm willing to pay a little bit more. Yes. Or I might decide that, that, that this neighborhood isn't the neighborhood that I want to yeah. in, so I might pay a little bit less. Yeah. So looking at a stock, you and I are just two separate people who could have different opinions about what we think it should be yeah. based on all of the things. So, and then, I don't, so can people, people can talk to each other, but people can't plan to like do things, right? Yeah. I think this is an important point for yeah. like people to know is like you and I can't, you and I, I can say, or maybe I can't, can I say, I think the stock is worth 85 and you can say, I think the stock is worth 90. We can say that to each yeah. other, our opinion. Yes. But the, that's where the line stops. You and I can't say to each other, well, if we both buy, we can compromise at 87 and a half because that's, that's like, then that's, well, or can you? Is, so you're saying we can say what we think the stock is worth, but then we both buy and basically say we will sell at this price. Yes. That is, yeah. That's, that's not, illegal. That is not allowed. Yeah. I think that's important for people to know is that like that, like that 
conspiracy and not conspiracy theories, but it's like that collaboration is not allowed. And frankly, if that even did happen, there are, you still have to trust the guy who you made the deal with. Right. Which if the stock keeps going up, then. Right. right. Cause there are lots of other people exactly. who are doing things, which means that the two of you could just could have illegally decided that you wanted to do something to the stock, but there are a million other people who have independent judgments who might buy, sell and yeah. all based on emotion. Yeah. So somebody could wake up one day and a CEO of a stock, like the stock, a company could be perfectly fine. And the CEO could be arrested for murder, and then the stock would tank, even though it didn't, it didn't have anything to do with the with the company's yes. actual work. Yes, that would be based on emotion. Well, unless you think the reason why the business did well was because the CEO CEO ran the that particular CEO ran the business. Got it. So um, that makes sense. So then you have all of these inputs. How do you even begin to make sense of this if you're an everyday person? Can you? You can. There's, there are ways you can figure out how to do basic valuation work and to uh, create these frameworks. I went to school to help, help start building these frameworks. Well, that you know that makes me think a little bit of we had a guest on the show, um, Dr. Brewer, who is a friend of mine who uh, is a pulmonologist. So he he works in critical care, and one of the things we talked about was how people will come in and they will have gone onto WebMD to figure out what's wrong with them. And he had a very politically correct statement, which is he said, a more informed patient is a good idea. It's just the patient also needs to understand that like expertise matters. And he went to school and learned lots of things that are not on WebMD that are not available to like without training and like there's an expertise like you can't become the best basketball player of all time unless you practice you went to school learned these things you've worked in this industry for a decade so there's something to be said for like you can do some things on your own but a lot of things require expertise and thoughtfulness right so maybe that's the overall lesson which is that there we there's a level setting that, okay, this is what's actually happening, right? Like people are trying to make informed decisions. And then there's this situation where you can, how you inform yourself. And then there's a level of expertise associated with this. And just understanding all of that demystifies this, right? It's not just some random number on New York. No, over the long run, it's not. That's kind of comforting. it's not fake, right? Like it's yeah. not, you, so then people talk about recently the, if it's not fake, why do certain things happen? So let's take a concrete example. And if you can't get into this, totally fine, but then um, we'll edit it out later. Um, but let's take a concrete example. The stock market kept going up during the pandemic when a lot of people were suffering and that made a lot of people go, why? Um, was that purely based on emotion? Like if the economy is doing this and, and the virus is spreading, what would co- what what could cause the stock market to have gone up looking at that in retrospect? So the stock market for the most part is 100% forward looking. Okay. So once people got an understanding, a better understanding of what the virus is, what it can do, what it can't do, 
even though the economic impact was not directly felt by every by us uh, by everyone around the globe there started to people started to develop theories about when the economy would improve and when we would be back to normal okay and so if and I'm not saying this was my beer or not, but like, let's say you and I have a fund, we determine in April that, hey, this is the worst it's going to get. Okay. And we think by um, July 2021, everyone's going to be vaccinated and things are going to be back to normal. We would have been very smart in predicting the future at that point. <laughs> exactly. But if that's what you believe at the time, then you would have been buying this, you would have been buying the market. Got so, it. So that that's one driver. Um, another driver is, which... I don't know which one's more important. Uh, another driver, I think, is that in order to save the economy, uh, the Federal Reserve started printing a lot of money. And they did that so that banks would then, that money effectively goes to banks, and then the banks then pump that money into the economy. They lend it to people. They, like, they create opportunities for people to, in the middle of a recession or in the middle of a pandemic, open a second grocery store. Right. That's the purpose of it. Okay, and then at the same time, you had there was a lot of stimulus money and stim, which was needed um, to help support the economy, which was direct paychecks. Okay, and then also PPP loans and all of that other stuff. So all of that was meant to put more money into the economy. Yeah, exactly, and so when there's more money getting pumped into the economy, and the effectively what the Federal Reserve is doing is they're lowering interest rates. That means making it cheaper to borrow money. Yeah, exactly, making it cheaper to borrow money. That means if I'm a bank and I used to earn 3% by loaning money to your business, now I'm probably going to earn like 1.5% when the Fed puts all this money into the system. Well, if I'm a, let's say I'm a, a fund that buys bonds, when that bank lends money at 3%, those bonds I can make 5% on. But if now that bank can only make 1.5%, that means I can only make probably 3% on those bonds. <coughs> Well, the 3% isn't great to me. So what okay. do I do then? Then maybe I start buying stocks. And Got so it. the money supply starts flowing more and more into where you can make the highest returns, which is generally the stock market. So it's a little bit like, I think we didn't, when people say, oh, well, the stock market's skyrocketing, this bears no relationship to reality. In, re in reality, there are actually lots of things and there are lots of people investing money in a lot of different areas. And it wasn't just about the stock market. It was about all the areas where people could put their money and the stock market ended up going up in part, who knows how much or how little yeah. versus other things, but in part because other people said, potentially I can make more money here over in this other area. Yes, We keep looking at the stock market as this isolated thing, but it's not isolated. It's part of a very complex web of options of finance of money yes. flowing around the globe which all comes back down to you know that decision by the federal reserve to lower interest rates to put more money in which then gives the bank money to loan a, a grocery store operator like yeah. all of this trickles down it feels a little bit like the devil wears prada and like <laughs> that blue scarf you you picked out of the bargain yeah. bin was part of a, a complex long tail of decisions yep. that started with like cerulean on the cover in this case it's it's what is the interest rate yeah so this has been fascinating and 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 very educational in that respect is that like there is a basis of logic and something happening here there's like supposed to be a reason that things are happening yeah but they're all part of a bigger system just like 
if your arm's broken, you can get an infection and it can spread to the rest of your body yeah. or your arm might be broken, but your legs might be broken as well. Like there's all kinds of things happening yeah. at the same time. Yes. So I can see the puzzle aspect of this now. Um, it makes me think that you had a very complex childhood. Because <laughs> it was pretty straightforward. <laughs> I did not have this appetite for puzzles. I was content with crayons and coloring books. So I am impressed. Um, but I'm also grateful that you took time out to talk about how we even begin to make sense of the world, right? Yeah. Like how do you even begin to think about what the stock market's doing and creating wealth. And, and before we even get into the moral questions of like, should we, I think we have a lot of conceptions in the world that like, oh, this is happening because people decided it here. But a lot of it is about just dispelling that myth and saying, okay, let's level set. Let's yeah. be transparent. Let's be honest about who we are, what we're doing and what world we're walking into. And after that, we can have a conversation about what we want to do next. Right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you for tuning into this week's The World According to Craig, which is turning out to be the world according to a lot of people who are a lot smarter and understand way more about how the world works. If you want to learn more about how the world works, tune in next week, because I'm sure we'll have somebody who's explaining another concept that's completely foreign, but awesome and fascinating to me. Thanks for tuning in to The World According to Craig. I really should have thought through this podcast title thing before I used it, since it's really the world according to other people who are smarter, better, brighter, prettier, and more amazing. And that makes me happy, because I'm delighted to welcome every week, and I hope that you'll join us for a new story every Tuesday.